close to hers, and he did so, and she laid her face on his shoulder and cried bitterly, holding him as if she could never let him go again. Yes, he is well, she sobbed. He is quite, quite well, but we... we have no one left but each other. No one at all. Then, little as he was, he understood that his big, handsome young papa would not come back any more, that he was dead, as he had heard of other people being, although he could not comprehend exactly what strange thing had brought all this sadness about. It was because his mamma always cried when he spoke of his papa that he secretly made up his mind it was better not to speak of him very often to her, and he found out, too, that it was better not to let her sit still and look into the fire or out of the window without moving or talking. He and his mamma knew very few people, and lived what might have been thought very lonely lives, although Cedric did not know it was lonely until he grew older and heard why it was they had no visitors. Then he was told that his mamma was an orphan and quite alone in the world when his papa had married her. She was very pretty and had been living as companion to a rich old lady who was not kind to her, and one day Captain Cedric Errol, who was calling at the house, saw her run up the stairs with tears on her eyelashes, and she looked so sweet and innocent and sorrowful that the captain could not forget her, and after many strange things had happened, they knew each other well and loved each other dearly and were married, although their marriage brought them the ill will of several persons. The one who was most angry of all, however, was the captain's father, who lived in England and was a very rich and important old nobleman with a very bad temper and a very violent dislike to America and Americans. He had two sons older than Captain Cedric, and it was the law that the elder of these sons should inherit the family title and estates, which were very rich and splendid. If the eldest son died, the next one would be heir. So, although he was a member of such a great family, there was little chance that Captain Cedric would be very rich himself. But it so happened that nature had given to the youngest son gifts which he had not bestowed upon his elder brothers. He had a beautiful face and a fine, strong, graceful figure. He had a bright smile and a sweet, gay voice. He was brave and generous and had the kindest heart in the world and seemed to have the power to make everyone love him. And it was not so with his elder brothers. Neither of them was handsome or very kind or clever. When they were boys at Eton, they were not popular. When they were at college, they cared nothing for study and wasted both time and money and made few real friends. The old earl, their father, was constantly disappointed and humiliated by them. His heir was no honour to his noble name, and did not promise to end in being anything but a selfish, wasteful, insignificant man with no manly or noble qualities. It was very bitter, the old earl thought, that the son who was only third and would have only a very small fortune should be the one who had all the gifts and all the charms and all the strength and beauty. Sometimes he almost hated the handsome young man, because he seemed to have the good things which should have gone with the stately title and the magnificent estates. And yet in the depths of his proud, stubborn old heart, he could not help caring very much for his youngest son. It was in one of his fits of petulance that he sent him off to travel in America. He thought he would send him away for a while, so that he should not be made angry by constantly contrasting him with his brothers who were at that time giving him a great deal of trouble by their wild ways. But after about six months he began to feel lonely and longed in secret to see his son again, so he wrote to Captain Cedric and ordered him home. 
The letter, he wrote, crossed on its way, a letter the captain had just written to his father, telling of his love for the pretty American girl and of his intended marriage. And when the Earl received that letter, he was furiously angry. Bad as his temper was, he had never given way to it in his life as he gave way to it when he read the captain's letter. His valet, who was in the room when it came, thought his lordship would have a fit of apoplexy, he was so wild with anger. For an hour he raged like a tiger, and then he sat down and wrote to his son, and ordered him never to come near his old home, nor to write to his father or brothers again. He told him he might live as he pleased and die where he pleased, that he should be cut off from his family forever, and that he need never expect help from his father as long as he lived. The captain was very sad when he read the letter. He was very fond of England, and he dearly loved the beautiful home where he had been born. He had even loved his ill-tempered old father, and had sympathised with him in his disappointments. But he knew he need expect no kindness from him in the future. At first he scarcely knew what to do. He had not been brought up to work, and had no business experience, but he had courage and plenty of determination. So he sold his commission in the English army, and after some trouble found a situation in New York, and married. The change from his old life in England was very great, but he was young and happy, and he hoped that hard work would do great things for him in the future. He had a small house on a quiet street, and his little boy was born there, and everything was so gay and cheerful in a simple way that he was never sorry for a moment that he had married the rich old lady's pretty companion just because she was so sweet and he loved her and she loved him. She was very sweet indeed, and her little boy was like both her and his father, Though he was born in so quiet and cheap a little home, it seemed as if there never had been a more fortunate baby. In the first place, he was always well, and so he never gave anyone trouble. In the second place, he had so sweet a temper and ways so charming that he was a pleasure to everyone. And in the third place, he was so beautiful to look at that he was quite a picture. Instead of being a bald-headed baby, he started in life with a quantity of soft, fine, gold-coloured hair which curled up at the ends and went into loose rings by the time he was six months old. He had big brown eyes and long eyelashes and a darling little face. He had so strong a back and such splendid sturdy legs that at nine months he learned suddenly to walk. His manners were so good for a baby that it was delightful to make his acquaintance. He seemed to feel that everyone was his friend, and when anyone spoke to him when he was in his carriage in the street, he would give the stranger one sweet, serious look with the brown eyes, and then follow it with a lovely, friendly smile. And the consequence was that there was not a person in the neighbourhood of the quiet street where he lived who was not pleased to see him and speak to him. And every month of his life he grew handsomer and more interesting. When he was old enough to walk out with his nurse, dragging a small wagon and wearing a short white kilt skirt and a big white hat set back on his curly yellow hair, he was so handsome and strong and rosy that he attracted everyone's attention, and his nurse would come home and tell his mamma stories of the ladies who had stopped their carriages to look at and speak to him, and of how pleased they were when he talked to them in his cheerful little way, as if he had known them always. His greatest charm was this cheerful, fearless, quaint little way of making friends with people. I think it arose from his having a very confiding nature, and a kind little heart that sympathised with everyone and wished to make everyone as comfortable as he liked to be himself. It made him very quick to understand the feelings of those about him. 
Perhaps this had grown on him too, because he had lived so much with his father and mother, who were always loving and considerate and tender and well-bred. He had never heard an unkind or uncourteous word spoken at home. He had always been loved and caressed and treated tenderly, and so his childish soul was full of kindness and innocent warm feeling. He had always heard his mamma called by pretty loving names, and so he used them himself when he spoke to her. He had always seen that his papa watched over her and took great care of her, and so he learned too to be careful of her. So when he knew his papa would come back no more, and saw how very sad his mamma was, there gradually came into his kind little heart the thought that he must do what he could to make her happy. He was not much more than a baby, but that thought was in his mind whenever he climbed upon her knee and kissed her and put his curly head on her neck, and when he brought his toys and picture books to show her, and when he curled up quietly by her side as she used to lie on the sofa. He was not old enough to know of anything else to do, so he did what he could and was more of a comfort to her than he could have understood. Oh, Mary, he heard her say once to her old servant, I'm sure he is trying to help me in his innocent way. I know he is. He looks at me sometimes with a loving, wondering little look, as if he was sorry for me, and then he will come and pet me or show me something. He is such a little man. I really think he knows. As he grew older, he had a great many quaint little ways which amused and interested people greatly. He was so much of a companion for his mother that she scarcely cared for any other. They used to walk together and talk together and play together. When he was quite a little fellow, he learned to read, and after that he used to lie on the hearthrug in the evening and read aloud. Sometimes stories and...